You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Okay, Luke chapter 22 is where we'll be. And again, I, don't, I think we're going to wait to read it, so don't stand at this point. And we'll, we'll switch that up a little bit tonight. We're going to continue in our series, uh, Lord Teach Us to Pray, which started in Luke 11, what seems like years ago, really it was just months ago, uh, that we started in this series, Lord Teach Us to Pray. We're going to finish up some thoughts um, for the next couple of weeks before we kind of come to the end of this study or this series on prayer. And tonight really is part two of a question that we asked last time. That question uh, last week was, why pray? And even more specifically, if God is sovereign, why should I pray? Uh, because sometimes I think that question goes through our mind. And the reason we looked at it last time is, is the reason that we should pray is because prayer affects us. Uh, prayer has, a, has an effect on the one that is praying. It has an effect on the one doing the communicating. In the same way that if you were to communicate with somebody who's very good in a certain field and a person that may Maybe, maybe even inspire you or sharpen you to get better. In the same way that communication with that person sharpens us, then our communication with God is sharpen, it sharpens us, it changes us. You can't communicate with, with the sovereign creator of the universe and not have it affect you. I mean, if you truly communicate with God, it changes us. And it doesn't only, prayer doesn't only cause God to move, it has an impact on us. I mean, our adoration of God is not, I mean, yes, it is for him, but it also helps us. It reminds us of who we are. Our confession of, of sin to God, that really in no way helps him. It, it helps us. It changes us. It makes us, it restores our relationship. When we go to him in gratitude with thanksgiving, uh, it puts us in our proper place as a lowly beggar, a benefactor of his blessings and gifts as a father. It, it changes us as we convey gratitude and thanks. It's not just busy work. You know, busy work is something you just go through, for, go to the mo- through the motions. Um, prayer is not just busy work. Prayer is not a carrot on a stick trying to keep our attention where it should be uh, off a, on something unimportant. No, it, it's important work that affects us. It grows us. It changes us. And the illustration last week was the man who the Lord came to and said, push on the rock. And I just want you every day to go out and push on the rock. And, and in his mind, he was going out to push on the rock, to move the rock. But after years and years of pushing on this giant boulder, he said, I give up. I'm not making any progress. The rock will never move. And God said, well, it wasn't about moving the rock. It was about changing you. And the man looked at his arms and he looked at his, his legs and he looked at his hands and his fingers and they were weathered and strong and it had changed him. His faith had been what was affected. And when we pray, it changes us. But ye beloved, Jude said, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying. Philippians 4, as we pray, then the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. Peace comes as we pray. It's a result of prayer. So if God is sovereign, why do we pray? Well, it has an effect on us. But second, and that's what we're dealing with tonight, is that we should pray because prayer also affects God. And you say, well, 
yeah, of course, that's why we're praying. But I think sometimes we get in our minds something different. Well, God has his plan, and whether or not I pray, it's not going to make a difference. Because God's a sovereign God, and God is doing what he's going to do. But when we look at the scripture, we look at the examples from the scripture, and we look at the examples from the Bible, it becomes apparent that prayer is not just an exercise of futility. God doesn't have us pray because he wants this, again, to stay busy. He doesn't give us religious exercise for the sake of exercise. No, it has an effect even on the Lord. Look at Luke 22, it says in verse 31, And the Lord, as Jesus Christ said, said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he, he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And as in a way that only Peter could. He takes a serious comment from the Lord and he turns it around in a way that God, the Lord wasn't intending for it. And Peter's like, yes, God, thank you. I will stand by you even unto death, prison and death, whatever. I will stand next to you. And Jesus Christ says, and he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Well, this is a, a, one of those sobering and sad sections of scripture here. Um, but in verse 33, Peter is declaring, I will never deny you. I will stand by you. I will stand up for you. I will go to prison. I will die for you. And, and Jesus Christ doesn't commend Peter for being a big talker. And he actually rebukes him in verse 34. But before we get to that, the exchange that I really want to focus on in verses, is in verses 31 and 32. See, he says, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I think it's interesting that the Lord, Jesus Christ, says, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. It's interesting that here's Jesus Christ. He is the, he is the second person of the Trinity, He's the son of God. He is God in the flesh. And he knows what will happen with Peter. I mean, is God omniscient? Does he know all things? Does that mean that he knows even the future? Yes, there's not a trick question. God knows the future. Jesus Christ being God can see the future. He knows what Peter will end up doing. But Jesus Christ even says, though, but I have prayed for thee. Jesus Christ believed enough in prayer that he prays for Peter, even though he sees around corners. He knows what's ahead. But here's the Son of God saying, I have prayed for thee. He sounds pretty certain, and he should. He knows how Peter will end up. But he prayed for Peter. He prayed to his father that Peter's faith would not fail. And I just point that out tonight because Jesus Christ very clearly believed that prayer affects a sovereign God that God will answer the prayers of his people. And not only because Christ was the one praying, this happened with others as well. And we can go through plenty of passages of Scripture to see that that prayer works. Jesus Christ believed in prayer. But we're going to look in Isaiah 38 tonight and look at another example of a prayer from somebody um, that affected God. It says in Isaiah chapter 38, verses one 
Well, we'll begin reading in verse 1. This is the story of Hezekiah. He's a king. And it says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came and said unto him, and said unto him, or sorry, came unto him, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. That's a pretty sobering thing to have somebody come tell you. The king is just, whatever he's doing, he's a righteous king, we know that. Isaiah comes to him, he's the prophet of God, he's the voice of God. And when the prophet comes and says, get your house in order, because you're going to die. Well, Hezekiah then, it says in verse 2, turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. And said, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I, have, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy day, days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee of this city out of the land of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city, and this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backwards. So the sun returned ten degrees, by which degrees it was gone down. It's an interesting story. We're not going to get into all the details of it tonight. But I just want to point out that when I, Hezekiah hears that he is going to die, he prays. He goes to God, it says, he turns his face to the wall, he weeps sorely, and in response to his prayer, I just want you to notice, okay, before we get to the point where we think, well, God is so sovereign, he already has his will, he already has things set, before we just assume that prayer doesn't do any good, here's Hezekiah, and this was the word that came through God's prophet, Isaiah. This was going to happen. But here's Hezekiah saying, God, I, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, I'm praying to you, I'm weeping sore, I've lived a righteous life, I've lived and walked according to your statutes, would you please have mercy? And God gives him another 15 years of life. So my question then tonight, uh, as we go through this, is does that mean that God changes his mind? Does it mean that God changes his mind? Because I think that's probably a pretty natural question to ask here. I mean, he sent Isaiah. He sent Isaiah the prophet, and Isaiah declared it, like this is going to happen. Well, we have to be careful to, that we don't project onto God the way that we operate. See, we can be double-minded men and women. We can fluctuate. We can go back and forth. But God's ways are higher than ours. God's thoughts are greater than ours. We could go a few chapters later to Isaiah 55 and see, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, I'm so much higher than yours. Um, God is sovereign, and he has a plan from eternity, and he ordains all that happens. We could go to Isaiah 46, just a few chapters later, and read this. God says, I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. So it makes it very clear that God knows all things. He knows everything in the past. He knows everything in the future. He already has it all figured out. He already has a plan. He has an end in mind. But what is also true is that God ordains the means to the end. 
So in other words, he also determines the way that his plan gets worked out. So, and I know this may be a little confusing tonight. We might read the story of Hezekiah and we might think, well, God changed his mind. Obviously, God changes his mind. uh, But we also know that the Lord doesn't repent like a man. That's very clear as well. So, but we, it's good for us to understand that God is not wavering. God is not changed his mind or he's not like fluctuating. It's like, okay, I chose this one, but now I'm going to go to this one. Have you ever gone out to eat with somebody that, can't make up their mind about what to order. Isn't that the most frustrating thing? And it's like you have to send the waiter back four or five times, and we're all waiting because this person can't. No, that's not what God is like. He's not saying, oh, well, this prayer was good, so I'm going to go here now and change my mind here. Oh, that prayer was better, so now I've changed my mind. No, we would have to assume, listen, we would have to assume that since God knows the end, he knows the beginning, he knows everything from one to the other, that it was God's will from the beginning for Hezekiah to live 15 more years. But that he would gain that 15 years through the means of prayer. And I know that's a, a, a different way to look at it, but if God already knows and he already has a plan, uh, maybe it's not so much that, that Hezekiah changed his mind as much as it is that God has a plan, but but. It was through the means of prayer that it came about. Kind of like this. My, my daughter, Audrey, I know she hates attention, but my daughter, Audrey, is almost 16 years old. And that hurts my heart when I think about that. <laughs> well, let's just say that, um, and this, isn't, this is a, just completely hypothetical. Let's just say that I've been saving up money <laughs> for her to get her first car. And I have, I don't know, let's just say $1,000, which that's, a, that's plenty of money for the kind of first car every kid should get, okay? <laughs> so I've been saving up $1,000, and I've got $1,000, and, and it's, it's already earmarked, it's already tagged for Audrey's first vehicle. And my only requirement or the only condition on her receiving that is that she has to, of her own accord, come and ask me for money to help with her first car. But I don't tell her that's my plan. You see, I don't give her that, I don't give it away. I don't tell her, I'm just waiting for her to ask, to come and ask. Now, do I already have the money set aside in this hypothetical situation? Do I already have the money set aside? Yes. Is it my will that she receives the money for her first car. Yes, it is. But if she doesn't ask me for it, she doesn't get it. So do you see? start to see then how maybe we should understand God's will? I'm not even saying I've cornered the market on God's will. I don't don't fully understand it all. But according to this, and if God already knows the beginning from the end, and he knows the ancient things from the things that have yet to happen, then we know that he has a perfect will. And he wants it to be accomplished. But maybe, just maybe, we miss out on it a lot. Because all he's waiting for us to do is ask. He has a will that's good. And he has a will that's great. And he has a will that's best for us. And maybe he wants to give it to us. But because we don't ask. I mean, prayer moves God. It's obvious from Scripture. 
But our problem is that we don't ask. James 4, it says, Ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it on, uh, your, upon your lusts. So problem number one in James 4 is that prayer, prayer removes God, but we don't get to enjoy his blessings because we don't ask the resources there. His will is said he wants to bless or he wants to do something for us, but we don't ask. That's problem number one from James 4. Problem number two is that prayer moves God, but often we do, uh, when we do ask, we are not considered of his will in the matter. We simply want what we want, whether or not it's his will. We're more interested in how the answer might benefit us than we are in God's glory. That's the second problem. But to go back to the first problem, problem number one, the reason that we don't see many of our requests answered is, I believe, because according to James 4, we don't ask. And it's not even, that's not my take on it. James 4 says, you have not because you ask not. The reason you don't have is because you don't ask like you, sh- you should. And there will be a balance to this, and we'll get to that. But, I, you know, I've heard my kids say this before. Well, you know, I didn't ask because I knew that you were going to say no. And I'm the no parent. Actually, we might both be no parents. I don't know. Our kids have no hope. Both of their parents are no parents. But, you know, they've said that to me before. They've, they've said, and I, I'll, I'll say something like, well, you know, I didn't know that you needed that. I wasn't aware that you had that need. And I'm, th- I mean, and I'm thinking, well, why didn't you ask? Well, and then they say, well, I didn't ask because based on past experiences, you would have said no. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I probably would have said yes in this case, depending on how they asked and why they asked. See, if they, see, many times when our children, if they ask something of us, we want them to have it, whatever it is. It's something we probably even want them to have. But because they come asking presumptuously, or because they come asking for, not for a very good reason, then we might would be inclined then to say no. It's the same way with God and us. It's not that he doesn't want to give or want to bless. As a matter of fact, his will may already be determined But the means to that will being accomplished is that his people humbly come to him and pray. And if we don't, then we don't get to enjoy it. See, it is unbiblical for us to believe that our prayers don't do any good with God. We could go example after example after example in the scripture and see it is very clearly the case that prayer moves God. Prayer affects God. And so if that's the case, then we have to believe that this is true, that he has a will and he wants it to come to pass, but we need to be the ones praying for it. He's not some puppet master in heaven working alone and no, there was no care or concern about the strings that he's pulling. He's, that's not the way he works. It's a false view of God to think that he does what he does no matter what we ask or no matter how we ask and that his sovereignty is absolute and it's immutable. And I believe in the sovereignty of God. I, I don't believe that we apply the sovereignty of God to man's free will in choosing salvation. I want to be mindful that I say that tonight um, because God doesn't pick and choose. He gives man a free will. But I do believe he's sovereign, but I also do believe that he is moved by our prayers. 
It's a false view of God to think that he's just going to do what he does and there's no changing it and, and I, he's, there's no reason to pray. He has always accomplished his will through earthly and human means. And it's called concurrence in that he works, but he expects us to do our part too. And there may be times that he is working, but because we don't do our part in prayer, that we don't get to see it come to pass. I think about um, a lazy farmer, and I don't know much about farming. I've got a lot to learn, apparently, and there's a lot of farming around here. Um, I've really, though, truly enjoyed watching the corn from the time it was planted to those little tiny green sprouts uh, until it was a full-blown cornfield. And I mean, it was, a, it was enjoyable to watch that this year. But what would you think of some farmer who sits on his porch in the springtime and says, well, I sure hope we have a great harvest this year. But he never once gets the plow out or tills the ground. He never plants a seed. He never goes out and pulls weeds. He never irrigates the land. He just sits there and he waits for God to bring about some great harvest. Is that how farming works? No, I would hope that you would have said no more quickly than that. You know better than me. Is that how farming works? So if he were to try that, we know what kind of farm, uh, harvest it would come. We, we know what the end would be like in that case. And sure, God has natural laws in place to allow a crop to grow, and he's the one that does it. But if we don't do our part, it's not like God forces his hand and does his will no matter what. I mean, and he can't, can he do that? Well, yes, he could. But the way that he has always worked is that mankind does their part and he does his part. It's he, uh, even in the garden, before sin, Adam and Eve, they had a responsibility, didn't they? Their responsibility was to do their part. They could have just sat around and enjoyed the garden all the time, but that wasn't God's plan. He, he works and he expects us to work. See, contrary to popular belief, the Bible doesn't actually say God helps those who help themselves. Now, in certain sense, though, it's true. See, God does call us to work. He does call us to labor. He does call us to plow and plant and, and sow and study and prepare and pray. And when we do, according to the Bible, God in his sovereignty, he is very inclined or prone to responding to the humble spirit of his people, as we see even with Hezekiah's example. God knows what we need before we ask him. He knows that we need bread, but he also usually expects us to make some kind of an effort to obtain the bread. Whether that means that I go out and I work to save my money so that I can purchase the bread, or maybe that means that I work to take my money to go buy the materials, the ingredients, in order to make the bread. The point is, we don't just simply sit back and, and get everything that we want as it magically appears. It's always been God's way to accomplish His will at the same time concurrently as we work to see that take place. If we lack the benefits of God's hand in our lives, it may be because we didn't put in the effort to ask. And sometimes the means, it's, it's not uh, us working, it's us asking. If I was just to simply ask, and, if, and in asking truly believe that he can handle it. See, we may never find out what he wanted to do because we don't ask. That's the point of James chapter 4. Ye have not because ye ask not. So when we ask with the right spirit, like Hezekiah, 
we ask for the right reasons and we ask believing. Prayer moves God. It has an effect. Now, I can't stand up here and say, well, all you have to do is believe and you'll receive. You ask God, he'll answer every request. This isn't a name it, claim it message, okay? That's not at all. But I also can't stand up here and say God is so sovereign and immutable and omniscient and unmovable that prayer doesn't make a difference, so you might as well not do it. There's a balance there somewhere. And our role, if we're to look at the Bible, and we're to look at the examples of God's people in the Bible, our role is to assume that God can and then get on our knees and pray about it. The Bible clearly teaches prayer does make a difference. It's not busy work. I mean, God, as sovereign as he is, he moves on the behalf of us limited, of us limited creatures. And it could be that he's just waiting to enact his will, but he never does because we don't ask. Listen, within the framework of God's will, we have no reason to believe that, well, he's sovereign and so our prayers are pointless. No, according to the scripture, and we could go and look at all the examples we're just not going to tonight, uh, but according to the scripture, if it doesn't violate a principle of his character, it's possible. And we should assume. Now, prayer affects change, and God responds, and prayer's not futile, it works. So, you know, be kind of, it's kind of like calling the president. Now, um, he would never call me back, especially right now, because he's got his hands full, okay? But he would never call me back even if he wasn't busy this week. Because he's too important for that. You realize that the creator of the universe is just waiting to hear from you. It would be like um, if I had, and I don't uh, because I'm a Mac guy, and I just want to admit that tonight. I don't have a Windows or PC. I don't use a Windows machine. Sorry, Brother Mike. We're going to talk about this after, I'm sure. Okay, But let's say that I did have a Windows machine, and... And every time he gets a virus or has an issue, um, Bill Gates personally gives me his personal number. And I can call him, and he'll get in whatever flying spaceship he owns there in Washington State. And he'll be in South Dakota in just a few hours. And he literally will personally, physically come to my house and fix my, my computer every time I ask him to. Well, that would be pretty cool. Okay? He'd be at my house a lot, you know, Windows. But it would be pretty cool if he would do that. Yeah, it's, that's like Ford and Chevy talk. Like, don't do that, okay? He would be there if I just called him. That would be pretty cool to have a resource like that at your disposal. But we have the creator. With this, this, this is way better than the president. This is way higher and better and more amazing than Bill Gates. And he is just waiting, and who knows what his will is. We don't know. But if we would simply get on the phone. And yet, very often, according to James 4, we leave it. Well, you don't really hang phones up anymore. Back when I was a kid, you would hang it up. Well, we leave the phone sitting on the counter. When it comes to us asking God... We very often don't have because we don't ask. And now, and again, as a balance, let me say, it'd be silly for me to stand here and say, just name it and God will give it to you. You name the price, you name how big it is, because there are times when we pray for God to move and he doesn't. And we've all been there. It's like Christ in the garden. 
Jesus Christ in the garden, he said, let this cup pass from me. If it, I mean, if, if it would be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless. So, but here's the thing. Um, in that case, it was not God's will for him to answer Christ's request in that way. So, according to even the scenario I gave earlier with $1,000 for the first car, um, if God doesn't answer and we have prayed, then we have to assume, well, it wasn't God's will. And if it's not God's will, then, and he knows what's best for me, then I have to assume that whatever happened is best for me. Now, can I make sense of that sometimes? Is it easy to make sense of? When he doesn't answer a request in a way that we wanted, does that always make sense? No, and I can't see it. Sometimes I can't see it. I mean, I can't see it how he wouldn't heal somebody that we love dearly. I don't know. But if I've done all I could, and I have prayed as much as I, I know as much as I could and should have, and he doesn't answer that way, then I must assume that my prayers just didn't align with his will. And I don't mean to even understand his will. I'm just saying that it didn't align. So if that's the case then, in that moment, yes, I trust his sovereignty, but I also have to remember he's also my father. And he knows what's best for me. And even though it's not easy to accept, sometimes he does say no because it's best for me. It's for my good and for his glory. In the same way that as a parent, you don't really always know why you would say no, there are times where God does. So God is sovereign, but he's also our father, our father. And in the same way that a father is moved by the humble request of his child, our father is too. And as long as he can answer a request that results in his glory and our good, the scripture is clear. He's the kind of father who wants to do it when his children ask. So stop at praying like God is disinterested or he already has a plan and it's, in, it's set in stone and it's concrete, or he's already decided we don't know what the future holds. Assume that any outcome is possible. And I know, again, I don't want it to sound like I'm praying, name it, claim it, but I think sometimes we allow uh, the charismatics or, or, the, or some other group to steal what God wants us to think like because we're afraid of sounding too much like, oh, name it, claim it. no. I mean, we serve a big God. He's the creator of the universe, and he makes that power available to his children. I should assume when I pray that God can reach Sioux Falls through Eastside Baptist Church. I should assume that when I pray that God can reach the heart of that loved one that seems so hard and cold and distant from God. I should assume as a parent whose child may be away from God that God can reach that heart. I should assume that God can do amazing things. And just because some other group out there scares us away from praying that way doesn't mean it's not biblical. It is biblical to assume that with God, all things are possible. So don't let them steal our thunder and make us think, well, we can't pray that way. We can believe that way. We just have to be balanced in our approach in that if he doesn't answer it the way we thought, then we trust his will. So how does your prayer life reflect the truth that with God all things are possible and he responds to the prayer of his people? Have you ever been discouraged in prayer with the thought that it just doesn't do any good? I have. When you pray, do you believe that God is interested enough to answer? Because he is. How often do you pray for God's glory and your good? It's a good balance. 
Have you forgotten that while God is sovereign, you can also pray to him as your father? Just questions to close in. You know, Jesus Christ believed in prayer enough to pray. And if I had no other reason to pray, the fact that Jesus Christ prayed is all I need. So, and also, did Moses believe that? And Elijah believed it. And Hezekiah believed it. David believed it. Daniel believed it. The apostles believed it. We see them pray and God move in response. It's full of examples, the Bible is, of God being moved by his children's prayer. So pray submitting to his sovereignty, but have confidence in his paternity. Yes, he is God and he is sovereign, but he's also my father. And he wants to give those good gifts as we talked about the last couple of weeks. He's the king, but he's your father. And he's moved by prayer. So why aren't you praying? What in your life do you want to see answered, but you haven't been praying about it? Well, it could be that you have not because you ask not. Because with God, all things are possible. Let's go to prayer at this time. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.